0: Hi, how are you doing this weekend? It's great to be with you. I am uh, Jeff Surratt, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast. And hey, I want to welcome everyone, all of you, at all of our Seacoast campuses. Especially want to say hi to Columbia and Patrick Connolly, our newest campus pastor. Man, Patrick, it is great to have you on board over there. I know you've been at Irmo. It's great to have you now at Columbia. Can't wait to see what God is going to do next at that campus. Man, I cannot believe that it's Christmas already. Can you? I mean, it seems to be coming sooner and sooner every year. And every year at Christmas, we have the same big two questions we need to answer. Question number one, as everybody knows, is why does college football not have a playoff system? Question number two that we all answer is, what do you want for Christmas? How many of you have already had to answer that question? I know I have. I'll tell you what, right now, let's get that out of the way. Turn to your neighbor and tell them what you want for Christmas. Go ahead, right now, take a minute. Tell your neighbor, hey, here's what I want for Christmas. You know, for me, growing up, uh, that was an easy question. Every year, from the time I was six years old till the time I was about 18, every time my parents said, what do you want for Christmas, my answer was the same. Now, rather than telling you what my answer was, what I'd like to do is take you inside right here because they've got one inside. This is the place where dreams come true. Why don't you come with me? We'll go inside and see. Welcome to the Harley-Davidson store. You can almost smell the manliness, can't you? Take a look at this—96 cubic inches of sheer joy right here. That's right. Every year for Christmas, I asked for one of these bad boys, and every year I was disappointed. But you know what? I've gotten over it. I grew up. I got married. I had kids, and you know, I'm a—I'm a man now. I—I huh, don't—I don't need a Harley. Now, I, I've been thinking, maybe I really do need a Harley. I mean, you got to admit, I look good on this bike. and Man, thinking about flying down the highway, wind blowing through my hair. Or just what's left of my hair. Now, I've decided, this is it. This is what I want for Christmas. I mean, I, I, I know this isn't going to make my life better or meet all my needs. I mean, that would be silly. Boy, it would be fun. And, you know, problems would seem a little smaller flying by at 70 miles an hour, you know? I really think my life would definitely be better if I get this Harley for Christmas. It's easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? Thinking that something new or something different will make our life better. We're looking to change our internal reality with something external. And why do we do that? Because you know what? Sometimes life can seem like just a dead-end street. Maybe you're like a guy I met recently who, who was a great guy, great worker, a great family, a good Christian, but he said that debt was just piling up. Things had changed at work and money wasn't coming in the way it used to. And tears welled up in his eyes as he said, I just, man, something's got to change. Maybe you're like couples that I've talked to or in a marriage or they're in a relationship that they've tried to change, they've tried to grow and things just don't seem to be going anywhere and they need something different. Maybe you're in a cycle of depression that doesn't seem to end. Or or maybe there's a habit in your life that you can't seem to break. And if you were honest, really, really honest, for Christmas, what you really want is hope that there can be a different tomorrow. Well, that's what our series is about. We're starting a series this weekend called Hope Epidemic. And what we want to look at is whether you live in Greensboro or Greenville or in Somerville or Asheville or even in Togo or Kenya, how can you have hope? for a better tomorrow. We're going to base our series on John chapter 4 and a, a story about Jesus and someone he meets along the road. I've asked my wife Sherry to come and she's going to teach us today from that passage in John chapter 4. Why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles to that, to that passage and as Sherry comes let me pray as we get started. Father thank you for this day and thank you for just the opportunity to share this weekend from your word. Lord I pray you'll speak through us. I pray that We will not get in the way of your message. And in the end, I pray that we will see the source for hope in our lives. And Lord, we just ask it in Jesus name. Amen.
1: He's cute, isn't he? How he keeps hoping year after year for that Harley. And each year he gets something like socks. Let's just take a minute. Um, How many of you guys think this is going to be his year that he's going to get a Harley this year for Christmas? Go ahead and raise your hand. I see a lot of the men raising their hand. I think it's a conspiracy. As Jeff said, we're starting a new series, Hope Epidemic. You know, we throw that word around a lot, hope, but it's elusive, isn't it? What is hope and where can I find it? You know, today we're going to look at a story about a woman who really did find it. Now, I know that some of you know this story. You're going to recognize it as we jump into it. But let's dive in together to John chapter 4. You know, it started with a journey. Jesus had to travel from Jerusalem to Galilee, and he went through Samaria, which really was the shortest route to get there, but it wasn't the route that people always took. Nobody wanted to go through Samaria. You know, the Samaritans were a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles, snubbed by the Gentiles and hated by the Jews. The truth was really nobody much liked them. Verse 4 says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. But in the Greek, the words had to translated to be necessary, indicating that God had something big up his sleeve, an encounter. Jesus could have chosen to travel on the east side through the Jordan River, just like everybody else, but he didn't. He traveled to the Samaritan village of Sychar, where Jacob's well was. It was hot when he got there, and the Bible said that he didn't just dip into the well quickly, take a drink, and move on. He sat down to rest. At the same time, a woman in the Samaritan village was getting ready to go draw her water. She loaded up her water vessel, maybe more than one, because this was going to be her one and only trip to the well this day. The wells were located far outside the city, and the job always fell to the women. Now, we're not exactly sure why, but maybe it was because the water jugs were too, too, too heavy for the children to carry this far. But also, it gave the women a chance to walk and chat. It was their social time of the day. The Bible doesn't give this woman a name. It just said that she was a Samaritan. But I picture her as a pretty woman Probably in her mid 30s, but maybe with a look about her that made her look a little bit older than her years, because you see, her life was hard. She was not married, and she had a reputation that followed her everywhere she went. In that day, as a woman, your choices were few, and this woman hadn't made good ones. After five husbands and still finding herself alone, she was now living with a man that wasn't her husband. Now, I pictured her thinking, well, what else can I do? It's either hook up with somebody or starve. I'm a Samaritan woman with no choices. You know, the custom was to go to the well early in the morning and late in the evening when it was cool. The women couldn't carry enough to last the whole day at one time, so they repeated the journey when the sun began to set and it was a little bit cooler. But this woman was going one time in the hot part of the day because that was really all she could stand. She would go once, because she didn't want to face the looks, the whispers, the talk behind the hands, the shunning. She knew good and well she wasn't welcome in the women's Samaritan circles, not part of the chit-chat, not invited to join with the other women. She was invisible. Have you ever been there, known that you weren't welcome in a group, When I first graduated from college with an education degree, I was ready to teach, but I graduated in December, so I didn't have my first first teaching job yet, so I jumped into the substitute teaching world. Well, one particular school stood out in my memory to me. Every day in substituting, I would go to a different school, but this one day, I went to this school, found my way there, walked in the front door, nobody greeted me. I went to the front desk and announced proudly, I'm Sherry Surratt, and I'm the substitute teacher today. I barely got a look. I said, well, where's my classroom? And I kind of pointed over there. So I wandered over, and I knew that it was a fourth-grade classroom that day. And I walked in. Well, my day did not begin well. There was one particular boy who knew that um, he was the entertainer of the classroom, and he decided right away at the top of the morning to put a tack in my chair, which I promptly sat on. My day just got worse from there. You know, I didn't know where anything was. I went next door to one of the teachers that was there. She wasn't much help. She kind of just grunted at me. Lunchtime came. I didn't know where the lunchroom was. I had to ask the kids, and that's always a very dangerous thing. Dropped the kids off at lunch, went into the lunchroom. I had my sandwich with me. I sat alone while the rest of the teachers gathered over at another table, talking and laughing and talking about all the stuff that was going on in that school year. I can't tell you how miserable I was. For me... I love to talk to people. I'm one of those people on the airplane that as soon as I sit down, I learn everyone's name on my row, and then I talk to the people in front of me and the people in back of me. I'm one of those that you probably put your headphones on real quick and don't meet my gaze so that you don't have to talk to me. This day at this school was absolutely miserable. By the time lunch was over, I was ready to go home. I was so lonely. That day seemed a year long. I would have hid in the bathroom if I could, I just didn't know where it was. You know, that was one day in my life. For this woman in Samaria, this was every day for her. Nobody spoke to her, nobody looked at her, nobody invited her to join in. As this woman was getting ready to go, I imagine her thinking, okay. I'm going to get my water jug. I'm going to go there. There's not going to be anybody anybody there. It's going to be hot. I'm going to dip in. I'm going to get back home. I'm going to get on with my day. But God had another plan. Can't you just imagine when she gets to the well, and of all people, who does she see? A Jewish rabbi. She probably thinks, great, I'm going to dip in my water jug, and as I do, I'm going to get a big bowl of disapproval and a side of condemnation. This is shaping up to be a really good day. Have you ever had that happen? Have you had to run out for a gallon of milk in your old gym shorts? And you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to go in so fast. Man, I hope I don't run into anybody. You go inside and you run into your neighbor who always has that perfect dress on or your boss who wants to stop and talk or worse yet, Pastor Greg. You try to run and hide in the cereal aisle and you pretend that you're absorbed in the nutrition content of the Cheerios box. But, you know, there was no hiding for this woman that day. Let's pick up in John chapter four, verse seven, and let's see what Jesus does. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? You know, I'm betting her mouth dropped open before she said those last words. For a Jew to make a polite request and to ask a drink from her water jar was absolutely unheard of. Verse 9 says that the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. This didn't just mean that they didn't talk to him or associate with them. It meant that they didn't share or even touch the same stuff. To drink from her jar would have meant that Jesus would have been contaminated and gotten the Samaritan cooties, if you will. You know, we make light of that with the word cooties, but this was a big deal. For a Jew to drink from a Samaritan's jar, it was risking excommunication from the church. Jesus knew this, but it didn't stop him. I'm sure she looked around. You know what? You and me together here alone at the well, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. We shouldn't even be talking. You're going to stir up some trouble. I'm sure she thought that this man had really lost his mind. But here's where the conversation gets interesting. Verse 10 says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that sang to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never Be thirsty forever. Would you circle those words? Never be thirsty forever. The verse goes on to say, The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Well, now she surely doesn't know what to think. But her answer is immediate. Hook me up. She says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's thinking, you know, to never have to make this walk in the hot sun in the middle of the day, to have to avoid all the other women, this will make my life better. This has got to be better than what I'm doing. I'm all in. She was looking for a quick fix, but Jesus had a bigger picture in mind. She thought she just needed water just to quench her thirsty throat and to take care of her household tasks. Jesus knew She had an ache in her heart and a hole in her soul that needed healing, that needed hope. You know, it's interesting that Jesus used water as a symbol here. We don't sit and ponder and talk about water much, but when we're without it, we're in trouble. Dehydration sets in. Did you know that many times when you think you're hungry, you're actually craving water? You know how it goes. You stand in front of the pantry, I did this right after Thanksgiving, just after we had eaten a big meal. But I stood in front of the pantry, and I'm looking at all the things in there. There were cookies and chips and cereal. I reached for a cookie. I ate it. As soon as I ate it, I immediately thought, well, that wasn't it, because I really didn't know what it was that I was looking for. What my body was really saying was, I just want a glass of water. You know when your back hurts or you have a headache or your eyes are dry and itchy? the doctors say that sometimes it's because our body is lacking water. The signs of dehydration are numerous, and many times we don't even recognize them. But the truth is, we don't get water, we die. You know, the first time I went to Kenya, I noticed small children walking up and down the dusty road carrying these big bowls and jars of water on their head. These things must have weighed at least 20 pounds. And it was interesting to watch them because they would walk very erect and the bowl or the jar wouldn't wobble at all. Well, we would stop and talk to them. And pretty soon, some of the kids would kind of urge us to try this. Why don't you try carrying this on your head? So I did. Somebody had a very little bowl of water, probably about three ounces. I put it on my head I tried just to stand still with the water on my head. I failed, and the kids giggled. And they told me it was because my head was pointy. (laughs) I don't think it is. It was amazing to watch them because they would walk without using their hands, and it was because they did this day after day, back and forth, all the way to the lake and back, because they knew they had to have water. And then when they got there, the water was nasty. They shared it with the cows, the goats, the chickens, and the hippos. We'd see the children there every day dipping into the infested lake water to take back for washing and drinking and cooking. They were just grabbing whatever water they could find. What they desperately needed was clean water, pure water. Jesus drew the perfect parallel to water here because he knows that we can come be spiritually dehydrated and not even realize it. Psalm 42 verses 1 through 2 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Have you ever been so thirsty that you actually panted something to drink well this woman was thirsty sure she was but it was for much more than water she was longing for some things she longed for friendship to have someone to talk to to laugh with to talk over the events of the day to have someone listen to her to talk about the things that she was worried about and that concerned her heart Have you ever felt alone? This woman not only longed for water and friendship, but she also longed for acceptance. She longed to be able to walk into a group and have someone smile and welcome her in. There's an old song, there's an old show, Cheers, that used to be on TV a long time ago, and part of the theme song said, You want to go where everybody knows your name. You know, I've heard it said that that's the sweetest word that you can hear is when someone says your name. This woman wanted to be accepted and have someone call out to her and use her name. Have you ever been in a place where you just didn't fit in? Nobody really knew you, and they really didn't care that they didn't? This woman also longed for forgiveness. She longed to be able to not feel shame to get rid of that nagging feeling of her poor choices. Has your conscience ever kept you up at night? Have you ever laid with your head on the pillow, wishing to goodness that you could take those words back or have a do-over over something that's tearing you apart? The woman also longed for purity. Oh, to be new, to have a new start to not be known as someone who had made foolish choices over and over again. She wanted for people to look at her with respect instead of disdain. Have you ever longed for God to restore your innocence? You know, what this woman was really thirsty for was hope for a better tomorrow. But every day, She went back to the well that she knew for ordinary water, just like we go back to what we know, looking for that thing to fill us up. Once I find that right guy to date, then I will not be alone. I'll be happy. If I could just get married, then I'll fit in with the other married couples and I'll know where I belong. If I could just land that job with that salary that our family needs so that we can make enough money and we don't have to be in debt anymore. If I could just have a baby, then we'd be a real family. If I could just get my son past this crisis, if we can just get over this, then life will be better. And, you know, sometimes we get those things and we're still thirsty, Because that's the problem with wells. They dry up. They're finite. They only hold a certain amount of water. And after a while, the source dries up. The well becomes a dry, dusty hole. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says it like this. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living water and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. You know, Jesus wasn't offering literal water from a well. He was offering hope for a better tomorrow, a spring of water welling up to eternal life, a never-ending supply of God's mercy and forgiveness, and whoever drinks of it, he said, will never be thirsty forever. So how did this woman at the well Find hope for a better tomorrow. There are a couple of important things that she did. The first thing was she was thirsty for something new. She said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You know, often we are not thirsty for a real change, we stay in the mess we know. Remember, when I said at the beginning that the woman was probably justifying her situation. Well, what else can I do? I'm stuck. I have to keep doing this. We go over and over what we've done wrong. We're playing like a bad movie in our heads, and we don't get past it to look at the opportunities ahead. We go back to the wells we know time and time again, even when the water makes us sick. Can't you imagine Dr. Phil standing over to the side, saying to us, and how's that working out for you? Another thing the woman did was she didn't hide from her past. When she asked for water, Jesus told her to go get her husband. And she simply said, I don't have one. And Jesus gently answered, you're right, you don't. And you've been married five times, and the man you're with now is not your husband. She said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She was beginning to get a clue that this was no ordinary rabbi. She finally realized she was dealing with someone who could look inside and see who she really was. He knows. He knows what I've done. He knows my past, and still he talks to me gently. She began to realize, you know what, here... There's really no hiding in the cereal aisle. Here's what Jesus wants you to know. We can't change our future until we deal with our past. And we deal with it by starting with confession. When we get real about what's going on in our heart and our life, and we hold nothing back from God, then we can experience forgiveness and, finally, restoration. We become new. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, another thing the woman at the well did was she had faith for a better future. She said, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. You know, this is a story that she had heard all of her life, just like all of the people there. Since they were children, they had heard the story, a Messiah is coming, a Messiah is coming. And with all her heart, she hoped it to be true because she knew this was her only hope. Jesus answered her, I who speak to you am he. Now she knew that she was standing in front of the Messiah that she had heard about all of her life. The last thing the woman did was she accepted Jesus as her source. Not only did she believe, but she ran out and she spilled the beans. She told everybody in her path, everybody in her village, the people who didn't like her, the people who before then had never spoken to her. She ran up to her and told, told them, I've seen the Messiah. This is what she said. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And she knew that it was. The woman who just a few hours before, who trudged to the well dreading every step, with the heavy water jar on her shoulder, was now running back to share her good news. Her dread had turned into excitement, her shame into a new start, her loneliness into joy. This woman's ordinary trip to the ordinary well turned into an encounter with a never-ending spring of forgiveness and
0: hope. How about you? Sherry has talked to us about needing hope for Christmas, needing hope for a better tomorrow. Does that apply to you? Some of you can probably relate to the, to the woman at the well. Maybe you know what it's like to be rejected, or, or maybe you know what it's like to be lonely and to go home alone day after day after day. Or maybe you know what it's like to have made so many mistakes in your past that you just can't seem to escape all the entanglement that your past has. Or maybe your challenge is not anything to do with what you've done, it's just that life, is belt, uh, life has dealt you uh, a tough hand. I mean, for some of us this Christmas season, our, our family is, it, it is a mess, and it, it's not really anything that we're doing, it's just the relationships are messed up, and, and we need hope that there can be something better in the next day, in the next week, in the next year. For, for some of it's a financial thing. With the things that are going on and in our economy right now, there's a lot of people here where I am and in whatever campus that you're at that economically you are in a tough place. Finances are falling apart and you just need hope for a better tomorrow. Well, if you need hope, let, let's kind of review what Sherry talked about, what, what this woman at the well found. How did she find hope? And how does it apply to you? The, the first thing Sherry said is the woman was thirsty. Are you thirsty? I mean, are you so thirsty for something new, for, for something different, for hope in your life that you would say, I'm willing to make a big change, a huge change in how I see life and how I deal with life? I'm, I'm, I'm thirsty. And then what about your past? I mean, have you dealt with your past? Have you confessed your past to Jesus and at least one other trusted Christian friend? I mean, if you haven't, let's do that today. I mean, let's take care of that today and deal with our past. And then do you have faith that there can be a better tomorrow? You see, we don't don't have a magic phrase. We don't have special oil that we can put on. It all begins with you. It begins with your faith. Not to say that you can see different circumstances. That's not faith. In fact, the Bible says that faith is believing in things you can't see. But do you have that faith? Do you have faith that there could be a different tomorrow, that there could be Hope for you, and then finally, is Jesus your source? I mean, really, seriously. We all that have been around church for a long time we know the right answer. Absolutely, Jesus is my source. But daily, on a day-to-day basis, what really is my source? I mean, if if we were honest, I think a lot of us would say, if my situation at home changed, then I believe I could have hope. If, if I found a job, then I think I could have hope. If, if, if the problem in my family was re- resolved, if, if the situation we're dealing with with my teenager got better, then, then I could have hope. And the reality is, if that's my thinking, then my source is my circumstances. And I'm looking to my circumstances to bring me hope. And that's just a well that Sherry talked about that will always dry up. But if our source is an internal spring that springs up from inside, that that we can have living water forever, that's when my source really is Jesus. That's when I'm able to say, you know what? Even if my circumstances don't change, even if my tomorrow looks on the outside like my today did, I still have hope because I know that Jesus is my source. The Apostle Paul put it really well when he said, you know, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. I've learned to have a lot and I've learned to have nothing but I know what it is to be contented to have hope in Christ. This is a guy who knew what it was to be lonely, to be locked away in a jail cell and to be abandoned by all his friends. He knew what it was like to be beaten. He knew what it was like to have no money at all and no prospect for the future. In fact, when he wrote a lot of his, his, his writings about hope, he was in jail waiting to be executed. And yet he said, I can have hope. Why? Because there is a well or there is a spring of living water coming up from within. Here's the deal. You can have hope for a better tomorrow. See, a hope epidemic starts today. It starts with you as you experience hope. In a few minutes, we're going we're to give you a chance to respond to what, what God is saying in your heart. And here, here's what I'd like for you to do. If your challenge today is with the past, and with sin, and with mistakes, and things that just keep coming up again and again and again, I want you to go to a cross, whatever campus you're at, while we sing and, and, and we worship, just get up from your seat and go to the cross and write whatever that thing is from the past and pin it to the cross. So I confess it today. I'm going to leave it here. I want hope. If today your challenge in having hope has to do with a relationship, what I want you to do is go to the candles at your campus. And, and when, you, when you go there, I want you to light a candle. As you light that candle, I want you to speak into that relationship. I want you to speak truth into that relationship. And and just, if it's your marriage, just say, I'm praying right now for my wife because we we have a good relationship. I'm praying for my son right now because he is coming to know Jesus. And I want you to speak truth into that relationship at the candles. If there's another circumstance in your life, a lot of you, it could be financial or, or maybe over the last year, you've lost something very dear to you, maybe someone very close to you. I want to encourage you to take that thirsty step of asking someone to pray with you today. Maybe it's the person right next to you. Nobody's going to say no. Just turn to them and say, hey, would, would you just pray with me? I'm, I'm struggling with... And just give them a one-word answer, and they'll pray with you. Or at every campus, there's people somewhere in your auditorium that'll be standing. They're just waiting to pray with you through whatever circumstances is robbing you of hope for tomorrow. I just want you to know, I just, I, the last thing I want to leave you with is a hope epidemic. It sweeps across your city and across your state and around our country and across the oceans into Asia and Europe and Africa. A hope epidemic starts today. It starts in your heart. Let me pray for you. Wow, Father, I just thank you for just the example that Jesus gave as he dealt so gently with this woman that had no hope. And Lord, after she encountered you, after she had a face-to-face with you, she walked away. Her circumstances didn't suddenly change, but her life changed because now she had hope for a better tomorrow. Lord, I pray for every person who's listening today. Lord, I pray that inside that the, that the spark of hope will grow. Lord, some have no hope and that today they'll just be a spark. Some have hope, but it it needs to be flamed into, into a raging fire that can be shared with their neighbors. Lord, we believe that when we place our trust in you, a spring of eternal living water, eternal hope will begin in us. Lord, that's our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.